0: Hello and welcome to the Edgy Futurist podcast. Uh we're back for another week. Uh this is episode 188. 188. Um it's yeah, it's it's good to be back. We had our first episode last week after the the summer break, uh where it was just the three of us talking about we, we titled it Why Education. And that was mainly because when I was coming up the title, I I didn't know what else to call it. But uh <laughs> I think that was the kind of conversation, wasn't it? We, if you want to go back and have a listen, if you haven't listened to it, uh, we we kind of got into the whole idea of 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 the purpose of education, and I don't think we meant to go there, did we? We were meant to we meant to look at kind of um, the the future of education, but actually got to the got got down to the actual essence of it, or we tried to anyway.
1: Yeah, I think we did everything, but actually made the statement of um, the book. I think we dance around it. We have this nervousness around mentioning the word book and just dance around it. But, yeah, it was fun last week. Yeah, It was fun. I enjoyed it, talking about the unpicking. And I think <laughs> if you do listen to it and go back to it, that it, it, it peaked and troughed, didn't it? And it swung both ways between trying to think about where we want to take it but also realisation, even among us three, that we don't want to change it all, that some bits still exist, yeah. and, and we laughed, and, and I think the lads messaged me after saying, and I said who wants to know about the Tudors, and the irony actually after the episode of how that related to, well you kind of need to know that based on what's yes. happening in the UK and everything else, yeah. and so it, yeah, it's... It, it, I think it I went
0: downstairs straight after we recorded, because I think the Queen died while we were recording, I went downstairs yeah. and and on the on the screen was the news, and it just said King Charles the Third, and I thought I'd been transported back into a history class. But yeah, actually, maybe we do need to know about the Tudors.
1: Yeah, I still don't even know anything about them, so <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we can, That's that's what we'll, we'll we'll maybe get King Charles on a, a, at some point, and uh, he can he can walk us through it. Uh, I think maybe a spaniel. I don't know. Let's see.
2: It's also interesting that we've we've. We, we talked about, um, thought we were going to be talking about where we thought the future of education <laughs> was going to go. But actually, sorry, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm sorry, Ben. I'm still laughing because I, I think that joke was quite good by Steve.
2: Getting a Spaniel <laughs> on. Yeah, I didn't think it was. I, that's why I, didn't, I moved on. <laughs> I don't think so the was.
1: first time I've ever told a joke, Let, let's just call this that, let's put it up there. It's the first time I've ever told a joke and Dan's actually laughed at it, raveling going, <laughs> no, it's not funny. I thought that was one. a good
0: joke. I thought it deserved more, to be honest.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought loads of people should join the podcast just to laugh at it, but uh, I don't want to sing my own boat, But Go on, Ben. Sorry, mate.
2: Yeah, yeah no worries. We, we have got a guest waiting in the background, but never mind. Um, we, uh, we, uh, Yeah, I think we were trying to get into that future of education, weren't we? But actually acknowledging that if we don't, acknowledge what, what's been and what we like about what is, and actually the, the purpose of it. Why why does education exist? Why do we have schooling? And and what is the real, that kind of purpose behind it? And and then if we can kind of deconstruct that bit, look at me being all, I'm usually the one that's stupid. Um, uh, uh, And it would, Steve today, uh, deconstructing what we do and why we do it, then it allows us to rebuild in a, in a way that will, will be sustainable for the world that we're living in. So I think that's absolutely poignant for what we're going to get into tonight. Absolutely, yeah.
0: So, uh, we're, yeah, we're we're really we're really privileged to be joined all the way from, from Texas. Uh, although I think I think he's uh, he's living in New York, uh, but he's in, he's joining us from Texas today. Is uh, is Garrett Smiley? Garrett is the co-founder and CEO of Sora Schools, which are an online middle and high school. I'm going to bring Garrett in now. Hi, Garrett.
3: Hello. I, I want to start off by saying I don't want Texas to be my brand. So everyone, he's he's correct, <laughs> coming from New York. <laughs> but yeah, it's well, really? school. It's not about me. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where did so? Do you live in the city, New York City?
3: Yeah, most of the oh. time when I'm not in the country, you know.
0: Oh, Man, that's the dream. That's like if I if I like it was a, oh, here,
2: no. we go. here we go here we go. Uh, there's a soprano coming right now. No, no, I just. I just <laughs>
0: I love New York. It's it's like, yeah, it's my spiritual home. It's new one, uh, I'm, je- right? I'm so jealous. Maybe I
3: don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> definitely new York over London. Everybody like at least people say hello to you in New York, uh, like London. Not. I think last time uh, I was in New York, somebody called me a Viking because of the beard. I was like, I did have a padded jacket on, so I did look bigger than what I actually am. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I'll take that. In London, nobody even speaks to you. So New York, That's definitely. Friendly. And, I and to all our listeners from walk. London,
2: and all our listeners from London, Steve, um, <laughs> Steve isn't trying to offend anybody. Thank you for listening to us today, everybody from London. Uh, our our listeners from London, we value you, London. Yeah. We love our you. listener
0: from London, thank you for for joining us again, uh, Garrett. It, it Sora Schools, the on, online school. It yeah, a, a lot of schools went online during COVID. You guys would have been doing it since two thousand and nineteen. Um, what why did you why why do it why because i know you you guys not not uh long out of college as well and 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 decided to set this up where where did the idea come from and, and and kind of what's the what what was the purpose that drove you to found it
3: yeah the short version of that is it was wasn't primarily about being an online school in 2019 we were recognizing that was a unique opportunity but really it was about uh First, that a transformative education is possible, right? There there's a sequence of of events you can and an education you can put a kid through that radically changes their lives and sets them on a much better trajectory, right? I like to start there because so many people, perhaps not your listeners, <laughs> but so many people become jaded and they they just they lose faith in that, in that fact, right? They, they think education is dull, a dull instrument and it doesn't actually have much change, but there are so many examples throughout history. And of course, modern day, um, not only in education settings, which is a, a ran and a tangent, but of people just radically change their lives through knowledge. So that's what, that's the fact we were starting in. And, and so we asked ourselves, uh, how many people really have access to this kind of transformative education? And the numbers are, quite sad, right? There are great institutions, but they're really for a couple hundred kids a pop and there are only, you know, a hundred or so of them, right? That is just not much impact. So the question that we asked ourselves first is uh, what else do we think is possible in a progressive transformative education. So as we started from the ground up, I'll say first principles are probably laughing at me, that's out of vogue now. Um, but we we wanted to build up, how should a school be if we didn't have to make any concessions to the traditional system? And being in the US, I know uh, the rules in the, oh, I almost said EU, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the rules in Europe are a little different. Uh, but in the U.S., especially where we were starting, it was a blank canvas. We could turn this into whatever we thought was best for students. And we started with that premise. We, we built up a, a completely interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary, you might say, um, curriculum. We're fully competency-based. Um, it, uh, students have tons of agency and voice. They, they craft their own curriculum with their advisors. Uh, it's like a really fully progressive, novel school. And then we asked ourselves... Uh, how do you bring this to as many kids as possible? And that's where the online became particularly exciting because we saw this trend of these these workplaces, Google, whatever, even before the pandemic, they were moving online. These extremely complicated essential infrastructure for <laughs> for modern society. The employees who create and run that were becoming remote workers. So clearly the office was becoming a high fidelity office to be able to be created online. and so we asked ourselves, is it really necessary, for a school to be in person to get all the benefits of this this transformation I I alluded to before. And the answer we came to was no, we can get almost all the way there in the fidelity of the classroom, but you unlock certain superpowers when you're remote first. The obvious one is the diversity of the student body. You can talk to people from all around the world and build relationships and uh, sense so much of an education. I'm curious to hear your take, but I think so much of an education is about understanding the world and building a worldview very few better ways to do that than to, to talk to members from all, all around the world. But then, being a computer science person, that's my background, uh, it gets super exciting what you can do with software. When the classroom moves to the cloud, if you will, since Steve's, I think Steve said that earlier, we moved to the cloud, You you so much data is leaked off of the experience that we can really guide students, help them in the background without having to hire you know, a zillion administrators. So, Anyway, I probably went longer than you wanted, but that's that's the background. <laughs>
2: you know, you, there's there's a whole host of things that I, 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 every one of our brains is going to be fizzing here. You said something, so I think everybody else is going to pick up on something from what you've said. But just hearing what, what you're saying there in terms of, like, you, you, you went interdisciplinary and you've gone competency-based, like, this is flying in the face of what most schooling systems around the world do, isn't it? So often it's discrete subjects, where you were doing math today. See, I said math then, not maths. Uh, You're doing maths in this period, and then you're doing history in this period, you're doing English in this period, and then you might do social studies in this period. And it's almost like there's no crossover. And uh, also, there's that idea that rather than being competency-based, it's usually like some kind of formal assessment, which doesn't necessarily say that you are uh, competent. It just means that you can remember enough things to pass a certain test, um, rather than Uh, ongoing competencies and I I think that's really stuck out for me from what you've said and there's a few things that stuck out but that idea of that really does fly in the face of it and there must have been a there's an intentional reason for that I'm sure.
3: Absolutely I think uh, I'm heterodox in many ways with the progressive education sphere but one of the things is I think assessment is actually a good thing insofar as performance reviews are a good thing in in corporate the corporate world right they can be such a powerful tool to have an honest conversation about here's where i think you are here's where i think you can go and here's how i'm going to help you get there right so that's how i view assessment it's just all the toxic elements of this high stakes uh culture that we've created around assessment of the single test where uh you know not not only to mention the pedagogical inefficiency that you alluded to where you cram and then you never see it again uh, Anyway, but the the core of assessment is, I think, very valuable. Just how we do it at Sora is, like I said, competency based. So students move on when ready, but they can also try to demonstrate their mastery over. We have two different types of things we assess. We have units, which is content knowledge, and we have abilities, which are, you know, problem solving, teamwork, those sort of things. So our students can always choose a different context to demonstrate their mastery over these things. Um, uh and they showed increasing uh, competency increasing mastery with time so we're actually trying to track lines not dots as the saying goes right
0: so how, Garrett, how does that work practically so is there do, is there a certain rubric that goes with a competency that they that you're looking for and yeah how is it i'm just thinking it you, you, we get into the area of being subjective rather than objective and maybe the aim is to be subjective rather than objective I'm not sure but yeah how does it look on the ground I guess
3: yeah I'm a fan of subjectivity within constraints (laughs) so uh, I'll take a step back and open a can of worms which is I think school especially high school so we focus on middle and high school Um, we run our our middle school similar to our high school but um, I think a big part of it is ensuring kids get a certain breadth and depth uh, of curriculum and content and exposure to the world, however, I think we owe it to them to put it in the context of the real world. One, so their interdisciplinary piece, and two, uh, in a context that's exciting to them. So, giving them that that voice and choice. So, anyway, that, that's the the can of worms. I don't think school should be a place where if a kid isn't learned to read or write, that's a success. As long as they're like happy and passionate, I definitely. Yeah, No, it's good. That. I think
0: what you just said in 30 seconds is what we try to say for 60 minutes in the last episode. <laughs> so, yeah, we're with Okay, so
3: we're not going to throw down over Zoom. Good. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so how it works in function is I still want every student to get the unit's coverage. So we have 120 units. Standards, you can think of them. I don't know what you call them in the UK. In, in the US, we call them standards. Basically like standards, 100 years war, uh, I don't know. You know, Those sort of things, right? The US Constitution. Uh, however, for almost everything, I don't really care the order you learn it in, right? Math, some science, some of the stuff has dependencies, prerequisites, as we call them, but 80% of content. If you want to learn about ancient Athens before you learn about the US Revolution, which usually goes the opposite way in the US. I really don't care, as long as I can tie it to your interests, as long as you have an authentic why, as long as it connects to your worldview and your meaning statement, that is so much more important to me than marching kids through a curriculum. However, full circle, I do still care at some point in your four-year journey that you grapple with this in a context, right? So we're basically, you can imagine check boxes. It's way more complicated than that. We've developed all of our own software, all of our own learning management system, because we just run our school extremely differently. Um, but you can imagine it just as every student has check boxes for each units that grow over time. Whatever, but check
1: boxes. <laughs> and you talked about project based learning and and it's a, it's a moving across disciplines. How is that formed? Where does that come from? Is that just your idea, or is that pulled from phenomenon from uh, space, said the word from phenomenon based learning in Finland and and those kind of approaches. Is, is is a lot of research gone into it where did it come about and how does that apply and how have you you changed it and applied it to sora really yeah
3: a lot of research i like to uh tell people that nothing that we're doing well most of what we're doing is not occurring for the first time we're just trying to take all what i call localized innovations from throughout school districts individual schools other countries whatever and just bring it to one package and make it accessible to students in this progressive 21st century ethos right um i will say our chief product officer is Finnish, so he will appreciate that call out yes that was uh his sister's actually a leading researcher in, in um project-based learning phenomenon based learning so she will appreciate that uh but really it's we're not trying to be dogmatic about anything just what works for the students what has solid proof points what. You know, what's catching steam? What do we feel best It is subjective at the end of the day? It's hard to do uh, comprehensive uh, psychology and, and behavioral research in, in this way. Um, but what do we feel is best for students? No matter where it comes from, let's bring this together within the framework of our, um, our real-world interdisciplinary competency-based assessment structure. A lot of that happens to be project-based because I just think in almost all cases, having a, and I, I define it very broadly, for the record, it doesn't have to be a robot. But, but having a synthesizing piece of work at the end of an experience, in our experience, we only six weeks, so having all six weeks go into creating something really challenging and individual, I think is super important. But we also have debate style classes. We have, and you know, we have a bunch of other stuff too, if it if it serves the
2: students. What what I really um, I, I see the hope in what you're saying is that obviously um, in the even though that what you're saying is is flying in the face of a system and it absolutely is in terms of um, that interdisciplinary uh, model um what this this is not that um far removed in terms of a step because what what we often talk about is we go fully remote which students do whatever they want to do uh, this is what a lot of people suggest the future of education there's this there's this idea that they get a project they just pick their own thing and then they run away with it and then they learn how they want to learn and the teacher just guides them along that and there is uh, to some extent I understand that 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 model and I know that like places like Agora School um it's not exactly like that but there is that very much sense of that it's very driven by the student what what I'm really interested to drill into here is is this you you say that there's a 120 units that you over their four year put period you want them to um, look at no matter how they do it in what order they do it like two two things from it one is um, how do ha, who determines them 120 units as the what value and then with that like um, I, I consider. So I am I was a religious studies teacher, so I consider the understanding about worldview, experience about different people's philosophical and religious perspectives being really, really important in helping somebody to form character and their understanding of other people and their own worldview. Yet there'll be some people that will absolutely acknowledge and suggest that anything that's got some kind of religious background or philosophical background might not be relevant. So how how does that then um, navigate is, 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 is where I'm sat really.
3: Yeah, i think since the purpose of an education is to help a student live a good life it requires some sort of consent from the parents to, to i'll say i think every school should have some sort of core curriculum which is a controversial statement for many i don't really see why uh but what that core curriculum is should be uh an agreement between the school and the parents like, and so if a student if a family doesn't want their student to engage with hard-hitting philosophy or discussions about other cultures or like we've had an expedition which we treat very 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 sensitively and we do not you know whatever we've had an expedition called is there a god right if you don't want your kid to be having conversations and we've had we've run it multiple times sometimes it ends up in very different places but what we care about is the inquiry what we care about is the discussion and the debate if parents aren't comfortable with that i understand and i guess <laughs> uh but we're just not the school for you there should be another version of sora that you know washes all the critical thinking out <laughs> and you can go to that school right um so that, that's why i think choice is an essential thing for, for the future of education uh and there's a second part to your question that i forgot what was the second part
2: i suppose how 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 do you how do you kind of navigate that because like some people because I, I love that by the way What that was one of my favorite like kind of questions about the philosophical proofs for the existence of God. And I found that difficult when there were people that wouldn't do, wouldn't even question that because it wasn't something you allowed to question critically and whatever else. What I was saying is I think um how do you determine that? And then how do they mm-hmm. you kind of make that? And I suppose if it's that agreement thing and consensual thing, I think that, that makes sense.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So we actually, uh I will say our units and our abilities aren't that different than what you would expect, expect in traditional school. We have some things like, our emphasis on philosophy and our social sciences curriculum. And uh, we do things a little differently, but really I think what the power is, is that we do them together, right? We do it in interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary way. That's the power of it. And we're doing it in different contexts. So this in the uh, like, is there a God expedition or in our physics of sharks expedition or whatever it may be, they're getting the units in the, in the latter example, they would get units on oceanography and physics and, uh, you know uh, biology that would get all these things that you may see in a normal uh, high school but it's completely like technically it's the same but the fact they're contextualized in a real inquiry from the students that they care about and that they chose to be a part of it's a world of difference right so i, I don't think our the cultural canon that we try to impose on students through school is really that broken? That's the controversial thing. I, I don't think those are like bad things for kids to learn. I just think it should go way above and beyond slamming facts in their head. We should, we should work very, 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 very hard to contextualize these in the real world. Why this is important, why this matters, why this makes life more important or beautiful or valuable, and how this fits in your worldview, right? Just telling kids that that sharks have no bones, like who cares, right? <laughs> Let's talk about how the ocean's dying and how they're you know they
0: <laughs> yeah. I suppose when you apply that methodology to a curriculum, you soon find out which stuff doesn't matter. If you if you find it really difficult to apply to life, then I guess there's the it kind of shows up some of the things. I I know we were we were talking last week about some of the things we learn and everyone does it, don't they? Like when have I ever had to use Pythagoras' theorem again or when they uh erosion of rocks like whenever i had to learn v-shaped f- you know? valleys
2: v-shaped f- valleys that's what you yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, I suppose so do you come across like do you i suppose because you 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 talking there as a big advocate of i suppose what what we kind of call a, we call it a national curriculum here in, in the uk or a core curriculum like like you say do you come across key key learning that that's taught in the traditional system that you think actually this is just not it's not relevant for what we're doing students aren't going to be able to apply this and and are you are you quite ruthless with what you cut out
3: absolutely i i will say it's more bare bones our curriculum we do not have standards that reach into every here's exactly how students need to demonstrate pythagorean theorem and it's just it's just not that important if the student understands uh why it matters and we give them an ambitious project they're likely going to figure out how to use it uh effectively even if they don't understand the exact theorem right so Uh, It is more bare bones than most like math educators or science, whatever. But I will say it goes far beyond what they think is even possible in the traditional scope of a a school because every kid is there. This is something I, I didn't touch on too much in the introduction, but I'll take some time to do now. Every student is in a learning experience that they chose at Sora. And that sounds simple, but I think it's a total paradigm shift. So we show the students every six weeks, here's all the different experiences you have uh the ability to to register for and we have software in our in our learning management system that makes sure they're registering for enough new units and abilities to graduate on time to hit their goals but for them it, just imagine a progress bar it's basically what it is and oh this gets me 20 percent to my cycle pace oh this one helps me 30 percent closer to my cycle pace but they have 50 they're choosing from right and so we ask them, every student in Sora has an advisor who helps them through registration and much more. It's a one to 15 ratio. So they know these students very well. Uh, like, why does that matter to you? Physics of sharks, that's like, that's super cool. Why, right? How does this fit into your worldview? Why do you think this is important? And the fact every kid has opted in. This is like what people, when they talk about some radical, uh, like Sudbury school, they say the power is that every kid's learning what they want to. Sure very similar in Sora and we're still making sure kids get, uh, uh, you know, 80% of what you would expect in a high school education. Right.
0: Yeah. If you've got students all picking their own, um, kind of expeditions and, and doing their own thing, is there much chance for collaboration there for working together for teamwork and how do you build that in?
3: Yeah, yeah, totally. So, uh, as Sora grows, it's becoming a lot more common that students will take the exact niche together. Uh, right now, we have a, an offering of expeditions every cycle, which is a few dozen that, that they can register for that'll have at least three or four students in it, up to 15. So small class sizes, kind of like a college, like liberal arts little college uh, vibe. Uh, so those are the expeditions. We also have our abilities, our independent study, and our theses. So like students can customize the experience uh, greatly, and some choose to do that. Right? They want they want it to. Act, they want to feel like a PhD student, where they're constantly proposing independent study and they're working with advisors, and that's an awesome route. Uh, some of our students value the um, the collaboration. They want to be in expeditions. They want to like register for a bunch of debate style. However, we have abilities, which are the um, so their units and abilities remember we have abilities that are teamwork we have abilities that are collaboration so you have to show your competency over these things you can't just be a hermit student who never you know who never demonstrates their collaboration but you can have a preference in fact I want students to develop a preference that means they're they're developing their self knowledge right
2: yeah I really like that way where you were it it feels that this is a this is a I want to say a possible because it's not, it's not possible because it's actually happening. It feels like a, a more, a realistic way of, um of, of bridging that gap between how it's always been. And then this, this fully personalized route, there's almost like a, it's a bridge between and it, it, by creating that personalized route, but it's interesting coming back to something you said that tie, I think tied together. You said that the idea that we don't want to just cram kids heads full of, of, uh, of, of facts because that's just that's just pointless in and of itself, unless it's applicable and it's not it's not relevant to uh, to context. Because you talk you, you talk about people uh, their the worldview statements. I've heard you say that a little bit um, in terms of like the, what they're trying to do as a mission. What how does how does that form? Because I, I presume that that is really important. That if a student's got an idea of their why and what they're trying to achieve, that'll help develop the the, the, the advisors and the curriculum around that.
3: Yeah, so I think the, the I'll speak to the last point first. I think worldview is best developed, not by specifically talking about it, but by engaging with sticky problems in the world. Uh, so our advisors are trained to engage students with the why questions. Why did you choose this one versus that one? And I think those, when we're comparing choices, that's when values become particularly obvious um and they meet with the students one-on-one every two weeks so there's plenty of time over their four years to get to know each other and have these conversations um but uh you said compare and contrast the what was the first part of the question i'm under caffeinated today
2: (laughs) yeah it it was this idea about you you were saying about not filling students heads with facts but you were trying to then navigate that into a broader uh, world view statement and how, how, how we do that.
3: Yeah. So what I think is funny about traditional school as well is I think it's even bad to its own ends, right? It says we want to, we want to fit kids, he- fill kids heads with a bunch of knowledge, but it's not even good at that. You look at the long term retention of students and these facts, it's abysmal and it's because it's born out of a fundamental misunderstanding of how the human mind works. Right. The human mind is a relevance finding machine. It's how it works. Like this is not controversial. We see something and that triggers a related idea because neurons that fire together wire together. Right? We see uh, we see a. I'm, I'm looking at the pens on my desk and that reminds me of the things that it can do and how it's made. And right, we we fire connecting ideas. So when students have disparate facts and fragments, like shark has no bones, it has cartilage. Okay, what am I going to do with that? And when will that ever be downstream of another relevant idea? That's the most important part, right? You need to connect the knowledge, ground it in the real world so that it's going to come up in relevant contexts, right? Um, so, and not, not only to mention this cram style of learning in traditional school, which I did all through my education, all through college, because it well, was rewarded, Right. Uh, it's so ineffective where we already know how to make people remember things longer. And we, we impose, we implement these at Sora as well. Spaced repetition, your mind looks for things that have been useful in a uh, repeatedly. So if you learn something once, it's not going to stick. It's rare that it sticks unless it has, you know, great emotions or your cortisol levels spiked afterwards, right? It's like rare occurrences where it does stick long, but it's much more effective to learn something in You know, we've known this for since 1890, right, to learn things over time and to be reminded of the same ideas on a certain cadence that tells your mind this is important. So what what I'm trying to say is that it's like the Peter Gray quote, the schools we see today are more of a remnant of history than they are of science. No, no real science went in this. This is a social engineering tool. And now we've seen this story play out long enough to know it's not really even good at anything.
0: Yeah, it's, I'm not sure if you're aware of Sagata Mitra and yeah, and and his work. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, is, Sagata is a a great friend of the podcast and has been on recently. And um, he's yeah, I his his whole history of the British education system and how it was um, kind of exported around the the empire, and and I suppose his whole thing is it's actually this the school system isn't broken it's doing exactly what it should do it's just what it does is not relevant anymore um and and i i think i think yeah it's it's interesting i, I like that whole concept i think i heard elon musk say that on a, on a on a podcast i listened to recently about how if you want to remember something you got to attach meaning to it you got to attach purpose to something to it and and the fact that um the human brain isn't supposed to just continuously be thinking hard about about things continually all day every day in the way that the the school system does with with our students it's designed to be to to find efficient ways to cut corners and to find so they can have downtime it can have peaks and troughs and how it works um and it's yeah i do wonder what damage we're we're doing we're doing to uh, maybe not damage just like best years of your life isn't it from from being like i've got a my daughter's just turned three she's going to go to school next year and uh, uh, they're going to be the best best years of our life in terms of in terms of what she's doing and you just don't want to get to your 20s i suppose like a lot of us didn't think well actually what what do you what do i remember from that time from school where i spent more the place where i spent most of my time what do i did i actually was it efficient and how it prepared me for the world? Absolutely not. I think every everything, everything, especially for myself, I've everything that's kind of got me somewhere since I left school has been known since school. Um, and I do, I do, I think really took like a bit of a, a doomed um, turn in, in, in the conversation. But I, I suppose it's quite relevant to, and we've all got the three of us have, have got uh, Ben's got. Girls in school steve's got young kids who will be going to school soon and i suppose it's so relevant isn't it because you're where people who live in the in society and we're about to put our children into a system or we've got our children in a system and it's and you just want to you want you want the the best and and you want it you and i suppose in the position we're in as well that we we hear because i think what we're talking about now if you go to people normal average teacher um especially in the uk it's very very fringe very 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 fringe and and almost not even worth much thought because it's just too too strange it's too out there it doesn't fit in it's unrealistic to most people according to them so i guess do you do you see do you see sora as being and, and schools like it i suppose that we mentioned synthesis earlier as as being fringe on this on, on the edges of of the traditional system or do you think over time the the system will start to to break down i guess and, and we'll start to see the the fringe options become become the main menu for for people
3: i don't think the system's going to break down like the system is pretty robust bureaucracies are created to be robust and especially in the u.s i can't speak too much to your education system but a recession's good for the school system it has more access to talent it has like it's designed to exist through these things what will make it break down so it's not going to break down because of macroeconomic factors is what i'm saying it's going to break down because parents demand something different and it's not going to be able to adapt again it's a bureaucracy bureaucracies are designed to not change it's like in the definition right so uh if parents demand something better it's not going to be able to accommodate those demands and there will be things like Sora that pop up. I don't know if you've been following us politics too much. And in fact, this is intentionally pushed, (laughs) pushed down, but Arizona has passed a law, which is going through, uh, it's going through um, the process of being contested right now, but to give every student $7,000 a year to pay for an education resources or private schools or whatever, because it's what the people are demanding, right? And the governor listened. So, if that happens, you're going to see Cambrian explosion of education options, and that future gets me um, gets me very, very excited. But uh, to circle back to the first point you made, I don't think damage is off. Right? I don't think the I, I wouldn't say the system doesn't damage kids because it certainly does damage many. But I think the more relevant word is opportunity cost. It got good at doing one thing, which is making kids literate (laughs) like that that was the main thing and and understand basic math principles and the things that you learn through like k5 it reinforces pretty well and most of the society understands these things but the education system was crystallized in a phase you you think that i think it's a common misconception historically the education system was crystallized in a phase where there was a lot of debate on how schools should work It was, it was a period of, of um, like people assume that this was the model that was working. And so everyone got excited about scaling it. No, people got excited about scaling education as, as a right that people have and people's opinions on how we should do so were wildly different. (laughs) So we didn't even have alignment. We scaled something before it's like the startup framework. We did not have an MVP. Like people were debating how it should work. And we scaled that thing (laughs) before the debates were resolved. Uh, So it got good at a couple of things. Then we formed a bureaucracy around it. And then we scaled it across the empire, like you said, all while we just gave up on the debates that it was born out of. Right. Uh, So I think today it's not that it's not that it's. I think the more accurate phrase is that the design criteria that it was reacting to are no longer relevant, nor are they exhaustive, Whereas before teaching someone to read and write was like 90% of the battle. But now we keep adding layers to it of high school and this 21st century and this information entrepreneur economy, this the service economy. Those design criteria were so far from what they were when it was turned into a bureaucracy and scaled. Right. Anyway, I just wanted to comment on that point.
1: <laughs> no, it, it, It's really valid. Um, I'm going to take it a little bit different and i'm interested cuz you're middle and, and high school first in terms of how students respond and is there a preparation phase is there a, a transition phase into this new way of learning or actually are you cuz still being the old system technically unless all of your children have come from montessori or something that's a little bit of a different approach maybe those kids will get it a little bit different but from that side of it so that's first thing and then and then maybe a, a the same around development of um your practitioners because i'm conscious i don't want to call them teachers because you've got advisors and loads of different things what does that look like what does it look behind the scenes how how are the students attached to a particular advisor or group of people advising them through and how are they developed to this new method of of i don't want to say delivery but supporting um and 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 coaching through uh, the development of learning and and the focus
3: i'll start by saying something that all school administrators or all people who have existed in the system know it is unbelievably complicated right so uh we raised a good bit of money a while ago and we but we told everyone we're not going to scale this yet (laughs) this is a very we're not going to do should i call it name we're not gonna do the alt school thing where we (laughs) we scale the thing and then you realize there's some fundamental things we didn't reckon with or we didn't pay enough respect to and now we have all these locations and blah, blah, blah. So, we spent four years really getting it right, at least we think. <laughs> and uh, next month, sneak peek, next month, we're going to go try to tell the world about it, like for really for the first time, um, rebrand and and marketing and all, all this stuff. So, uh, but it's just really complicated to get this right because, to your point, uh, you have to bring in faculty. We call them faculty because there's the advisors, there's mentors, there's everyone. Uh, Lots of different functions. They all need to be properly trained. So therefore, we had to create a a comprehensive teacher training program. We have to. We had to create. uh, I mentioned this before, um, or at least glanced over it. We created mechanisms for teachers to have unbelievable levels of professional development. For example, we tell the faculty here it's like a it's like a fitbit for your synchronous sessions as well as how your students are doing. This is how much you spoke, this is how much these are the questions that you asked that prompted the biggest response. How can we build these into the next iterations of your expedition? We say here's the gender breakdown of your talk time, your class so we're giving faculty all of this input and really making sure they're delivering the sort promise the way we want and and the way they want right It's not just us big brothering them it's, it's working with them to be as good as possible um that's like. That's a huge moment that hasn't really existed in schools before, but that's just one piece, right? We have to do this for our advisors. So our advisors all have, have um uh, dashboards that they get sent to say this student, you know, didn't really talk in their first session. You shouldn't message them to see what's going on. You know, it was a slow Monday, or or your student didn't turn in too pre-work assignments this week so they weren't really ready for their discussion you should ping them see what's going on right making sure no students fall through the cracks that alone is a huge project right that took us a while to pull off and then to your point de-schooling we could say or just getting students onboarded into the school is also an unbelievably large project that we're still working on so how do we make sure every student because we live in um, or we live through multi-age interdisciplinary learning environments, so many challenges. And if you haven't been a part of that community before, it'll feel really weird until you're used to it, right? It'll feel really weird. So kids and parents come in and and sometimes they freak out, right? What the heck is this? <laughs> this isn't school. It's like, I told you that. But uh, so just making sure we're extremely clear about our messaging and kids are given the tools to succeed. It, it is not novel. It is certainly not um, novel, but now I think we're in a very healthy place i can dive into the specifics of that if you would if you would like but um yeah complicated. i am absolutely
2: fascinated by that that concept of you giving data to the the advisors or or the guides or whatever else in in different in different elements and the practicalities of that so i'm guessing that it must be high level function recording um and, and what that looks like because um i i think now back to my Um, teaching in in a in a secondary school in the UK if somebody could tell me that there's um there's a group of people that that speak for a very small amount of time every lesson and I need to dig something out of them, and and really I would I should know that but I don't always know that um and and when I'm trying to and if if a a student's really giving me a lot I want to try and encourage that because it's almost helps me as a teacher. But then there's also the worry of those that aren't listening or aren't involved or aren't engaged or aren't bringing up. That, that level of data is invaluable to ensure that everybody makes a difference. So what, what practically, I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't know if the others are, but I'm intrigued by how, how that kind of works.
3: Works a lot of different ways. So we have a lot of different mechanisms to help our, our, we view it from the perspective of helping our faculty be better faculty. Right. So we're not trying, as I said before, we're not trying to big brother them. <laughs> we're not trying to say, oh, this, this, uh, this metric was too low. If it's low for another week, you're fired. Right. That is not the vibe we're trying to go for. It's instead, here are the ways, here's what the data is telling me. Here are the ways that I think you can engage your students even more. Or we're seeing a trend, you know, it's hard to talk about, but uh, faculty member, I'm seeing that the students who, who identify as girls in your expedition sessions are talking 50% less than the boys, right? Like that is, it's something that needs to be talked about. And unless you have the data, it's so easy for a bunch of reasons for us just to glaze over that. And there's, uh, I don't know how, how detailed I should go because it probably gets boring quickly. I think it's super exciting, but things like, we see a variance. We see this student is engaging 50% less this week than they did last week. Maybe something happened. Like, let's make sure that we reach out and the student feels cared for. So it's just the beast you have to build behind a really well-run school is a lot. And being an online program gives us the particular ability to do this, which which excites me. Um, but I will say, why are we a full school? That question hadn't really come up, but people people do ask me that all the time. Why don't we just sell into schools? Or like, isn't there a larger change there? Everything that I talked about isn't that hard technically, right? It's It requires a lot of intentionality and you have to design it right there are a lot of unintended consequences but if you throw a well-run product organization at that they would have been able to build that in public schools in like six months right the system never would have let it happen the true bottleneck on learning on students experience is the system itself so i could sell ed tech i could sell people ask me why don't i sell this software our full lms into traditional schools because they'd never use it, and if they did, they wouldn't do it right. Right? This all stuff is an inconvenient to them. We have to fully control the experience from the curriculum we develop, we develop all our own curriculum to the software to the teacher training to everything has to be in this vision of the future that we have. Right? Can't can't piecemeal yeah. it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You reminded me that is I don't know if you know much about the the mid the business school in Madrid uh, they've got something called a they call it the wild wall and they've built some AI technology that sits behind their video conferences um and reads facial expressions so they get like they get data at the end that says I haven't done that yet
3: that's cool though
0: (laughs) so it, it tells them like when based on facial expressions when students were their interest peaked when they um but I think what you're what you're doing seems to be a lot more comprehensive in that data and 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 sounds sounds phenomenal, to be honest. We try not to
3: do anything that sounds dystopian, so it's a it's a (laughs) balance. We can do stuff like that, but it's always a discussion with our families. Like, is this weird? Eh, it's a little weird. Okay, we'll think a little more about that. We'll push. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I (laughs) had
0: this conversation with my with uh, with someone recently about how because I don't know what like traditional schools in, in the UK are very very. Um, and I think that I think they've they've taken their influence from the the chartered schools in America, where it's all very uh, you must be looking at the front all the time. You must be like your attention can't go anywhere else. But actually, I think it's, it's sometimes it's a good thing just to stare out the window for five minutes and 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 let your brain like what I was saying before. I guess let your brain have a bit of downtime and then jump back in. Um, if you had some AI software reading that reading your facial expressions all the time, it's probably not going to be the best indicator. Don't get
3: me started on that. We've completely blown up the school schedule, how it traditionally is. it? Ours looks much more like a a college. So our students can register for the expeditions and for the the session. We have a lot of different mechanisms for learning, but they can schedule these things how they want their calendar to look. So some of our students have mornings slammed with synchronous sessions. Then they take a nap and then they have their afternoons for their async work. I think that's awesome. Some of our students want an hour break between each expedition session. That's also great, right? So I feel this way about remote work too. We've been in remote work for 4 years. I want our employees to have enough freedom and uh, and also enough mindfulness about their own state. If you're tired, take a nap. You're not helping anyone, right? <laughs> of course there are cases where if I was tired right now, I could not take a nap, but if, you know, we want people to have that agency over their yeah. their own mind and manage their energy in that way.
2: And, and it, it ties into, we listened to um, uh, a, a webinar that you were involved with about the Future School um, with a guest that's coming on in a, in a few weeks' time, um, Anna Fabrega, and you talked about one phrase that you used um, that really stood out for me, and it ties into what you're saying there really, is that um, that acceptance of failure, and that failure is a really great learning point. And you used that phrase about things being a data and um, failure being a data point, and I really like that as a as a concept, because I think we, I think I, think I mentioned this on the, uh, on the podcast last week, gents, and if I didn't, then, then, uh, then I should have done is that my daughter started um, high school in the UK. Well, secondary school in the UK last week. And we, uh, we had a conversation about what she, um, what she was hoping to get out of this year and this and that, and the other, and, and her phrase was, I just don't want to fail Dad." And I was like, Oh man, that's just, that's not what you want. First of all, you don't want your kid to say that, and second of all, you want uh, um, failure is good. <laughs> if failure is good, failure is good if you learn from it, because uh, it's not that—that's the point, isn't it? So, how does how does from what you've just said really about this idea of there will be times when people just need to take a break when they're not at the best, or they might need a nap. How how do how do you kind of navigate and bring failure into what you do as an organization? Because uh, I think it is key, isn't it?
3: I think from some perspective, we're failing all of the time, right? Insofar as there's a way that we could have done it better. And so that's the mindset we want our students to have. We have formative feedback and all their, their, their we call them tasks, their pre-work. Um, we're just trying to create that muscle of what could we have done better? As long as that's the case, I don't really care. Even if you got, because we do have numerical uh, scoring systems. I don't care if you got a one out of four on this assignment. I will allow you to redo it every time. There's nothing at Sora that you can't redo. That's like a big pillar of our design. So uh, we use resubmitting as a good metric uh, for how failure forward, how much of a growth mindset our our students are developing. Um, Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think this is one of the biggest failures of traditional school, because if we create a bunch of people who are afraid of failing, they're not gonna do anything. Everything of value whether it's a chef creating their menu, right? I'm sure they went through a hundred iterations of that dish before it landed on the menu. Or if it's an engineer creating the Marv Rover drivetrain, they failed a ton, but they didn't view it as failure. They just viewed it on the path to figuring out what works. And they could have continued the path to making it better. Like we can infinitely approach uh, perfection, right? We can't ever get there, but we can infinitely approach it. Uh, So we want our kids to view it as that spectrum, as that continuum.
1: Just, just what you were saying, I was just thinking in regards to failure and but well, things about the successes and those kids that accelerate and and, and and get on and really thrive in this environment and do really really well. And I know that there's units and then I know there's abilities. I think you said and the competency bit. But where does where does it sit when you can when a student comes in and drives? and and wants to work at their own pace and move quickly, and I know you talked about four years, what happens if somebody comes in or a collective and says, I want to do it in two? What happens then?
3: Yeah, we usually tell them to try to go above and beyond in terms of their uh, electives, and we have full dual enrollment, so if you want to start college early or whatever, we ask our students usually to try to go above and beyond. We've had multiple students graduate early, so it is a thing. At STORE, we have this concept called pace and pace just means you have this big goal let's say it's a hundred units of like oh, well, that's confusing my language let's say it's a hundred things that you have to complete to get your goal just to really simplify it if you're here for two years you just got to go twice as fast you have to have twice as much um, velocity pace as your peer but it's totally doable right we've had students do it it's the same. It's very similar. Sora's setup is very similar to university. If you want to graduate in two years, that just means you're going to have to go faster. Right? It's not impossible. But I think the extra special thing about Sora is if you mess it up, you just do it again. Or if you mess up an assignment, you just do it again. Right. So there's actually, we're trying to low, uh, lower the barrier constantly for students to challenge themselves. Because I know when I went to school, we had students playing the gpa game and they did not take the hardest classes because they were trying to max out their gpa right i cannot imagine a more toxic mindset right <laughs> uh,
0: garrett um i'm interested to know after sora so you know um students want to go to college university um did uh, do, do they leave sora with the with what they need in terms of their their credentials in order to get into university and i suppose as as a as a follow on from that if you if you do go global cuz i know you, you you just operating within kind of the us um time time scale at the moment but if you do go global uh, like for example the english system when a a student will need in most cases a levels uh, they'll need like three maybe four a levels to get into a good university how do you how do you prepare them for that i guess and
3: yeah yeah, so we do it country by country. In the U.S., we have made it a particular point that our students will all come out with a GPA and with the traditional classes you would expect in, a, in another school. So our students do come out with an A, B, or C in Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Pre-Calc, right? Speaking of math. Uh, and they, they come out in World History, American. They come out with all of the things you would expect, It was just all mashed together and chosen by the students in this interdisciplinary environment right but as i opened the show talking about assessment is not a bad thing if it is an opportunity to have an honest discussion with each other so our goal it's not it's not actually a goal this exists today Uh, our goal for our students to feel this way i suppose you could say is i can get any gpa i want as long as i work hard enough that is the mindset i want because it is true everything the students do they can resubmit they can try again if it doesn't even work or they can just wipe it and try in a different context so if that if you did not if you got a 1 out of 4 on that oceanography unit through your physics of sharks expedition consider it gone if you do a independent study project about this thing you're really excited about that also addresses the unit comprehensively i will fully overwrite that past quote I don't even like saying failure but that last failure right because it's just a stepping stone now you know more now you know you want to do it differently sure as long as you show mastery over it so students come out with the transcript you would expect we've had students accepted to extremely competitive U.S. universities already since we just finished our fourth years so that happened last year um, like Georgia Tech Rhode Island School of Design like these really competitive schools um, so it works but uh, convincing parents take a leap of faith into a completely different model is the challenge for this year
2: (laughs) yeah i can i can i can imagine and i i I think if you've if you this is this is that whole whole chestnut that everybody um has as a a teacher that every parent has been through school so somehow they know how school should be um and so i'll tell you how it should be we have we laugh and joke about this and how you should teach or whatever else um and and i think that challenge will, will will definitely be there, won't it, in, in terms of that, that convincing. But I, I do really like that idea. Most of us who went to university will acknowledge that, um, in fact, all of us who went to university will acknowledge that we did in three years what could have definitely been done in a year if we'd have just been intent rather than the, the things that went around the university experience. <laughs> but I think um, that idea of working at a pace and then, Giving people an opportunity to go faster, or I'm, I'm guessing on the on the flip side, there's the opportunity that if it if if some people take longer to get where they're getting to, that's also okay. Um, and and I know that the um, yeah, talk talk about that what that means because I'm, I'm I'm guessing that if some people aren't working at the pace that they should be or or need to be for that, is there an opportunity from from the other side or the support that way?
3: Yeah, we have students currently on pace to finish Sora in five years. It's something that they wanted, their parents wanted, perhaps they they were in a less than rigorous program beforehand, we have some catching up to do. It's totally okay. What I, again, this is an art and a science. <laughs> so the art side of it is I just want to make sure the students aren't settling. They're not, they, they're not thinking I'm too stupid to do it and, you know, all these toxic thoughts, and they're pushing off their goals. As long as that's not the case, and we have a plan and the students engaged in it um five years is totally fine culturally four years is the norm so 95 90 probably percent of our students do it in the four years and they just kind of increase the scope of how much they bite off in, in those four years but Soros is designed to be flexible because every student's different every student's goals are different every student's
1: capabilities coming in are different um I'm focused. the 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 pace is is great. The, the the end point in terms of GPA or or the qualification that you hold or the piece of paper is great. But one of the things that really interested me when we had a conversation many many moons ago with Agora, one of the schools in 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 Holland, was I'm familiar. Yeah, the, the, their engagement with um, businesses around these projects. And you talked about real-life experiences and how to apply it to a context. And that's great as an advisor, somebody who's able to bring it to life a little bit. Some people say, well, the best teachers do that anyway. How can you – what engagement for commercially, not from a money point of view, do you have with businesses? Is that an aspiration where you're working with loads of different things where somebody – and I always go to the story of from Agora, the, the, the kid who wanted to – design skateboards and, and went through that way and then ended up working and designing skateboards. And then I think one of the children at the age of 14 was working on the Hillary Clinton campaign or something ridiculous. And is that an aspiration? Is that already there or is there an aspiration to develop that more in regards to real world experiential learning, applying it to the context, not just this is what it would mean. This is actually what it does.
3: We have a mentor network where our students are plugged in with, Um, people in the industry for whatever professional aspiration they have and they have conversations. It's not a huge aspect of our program. And I'm very excited about working on this more. One of our, actually our very first student, funny it worked out that way. um, He told us when he joined him, I just want to be a game developer. Like (laughs) this is my goal that I have for myself. Uh, I will do the whole school thing and I, you know, whatever, but I just want you to know I'm optimizing for this outcome. And we said, okay, well, we'll try to get you there. Our, your advisor will partner with you, and right out of high school, he got a job at EA, right, Electronic Arts. It's like one of the best. So it does happen. There's an, there's an infinite list of ways that we can better do this, and including one really big one we have working right now, uh, in, in in the works right now, I should say. Uh, but yeah, that's a big opportunity. How do you connect with students' communities? Because that is such an authentic why it's so obvious it's right in front of their eyes right uh if we're, if we're getting very real <laughs> that requires parents to do that with their student in many cases and we're not always seeing that level of buy-in with 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 all of the families because it's it's a huge ask please drive your kid around three times a week too right uh so they're kind of barred off from that until they're 16 or 17 they can get a driver's license but i um, we are always looking for ways to uh, to leapfrog that constraint
0: what well, what do you make of um i've I've recently really got into virtual reality in a big way um i was it was kind of always at the kind of the the, the fringes of 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 um the, of tech for me and kind of and, I, and I've really got involved with it, especially some of the stuff that Meta's doing um, at the moment. I think is really, really impressive and, and really gives insights into into where this is going to lead over the next few years. And and one of the things I've been really impressed with is their Horizons Workplace app uh, for the for their Quest, where you can you can all essentially you can have a meeting where you sit in a room, um, and the functionality within it is is just it's just phenomenal. Do you? do you see now that the technology or we pretty much have that technology and it's just going to get better do you see online school especially in terms of Sora moving into into that kind of environment
3: of course we'll always stay at the cutting edge Um, I usually shy away from these sort of conversations because I think they can distract from the main point which is it's a pedagogical failure it's a philosophical failure that's making schools bad today you cannot throw virtual reality on top of a a 2021 era zoom school and think it's going to fix it right it's just not going to happen the interdisciplinary students connecting their why with their content understanding the the relevance of it uh, having this this relationship led community those are all the the most important aspects, right? And then if we can throw on virtual reality, in fact, we will, this is why in a 10, 20 year time span, I have no doubt virtual school is gonna be 10X better, or I should say the virtual classroom will be 10X better than a um, in-person classroom. Right now, I think it has parity or is perhaps better because of the engagement tools we, we talked about earlier. Um, but that's why I think it's really hard to bet against against the internet, right? But yeah again it's it's philosophical it's pedagogical failures that we have to overcome first
0: yeah and i think you're right there it's that uh, if we want to take something as, as basic as the samr model of tech integration just the substitution of what we already have with new tech is is, ne- is never great and we saw that during covid didn't we Cause schools turned their physical classroom with rows of desks essentially into a video call and 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 kids stopped turning up it, it, Teachers got bored because it just didn't work. You're just trying to overlay a video call onto onto a traditional classroom. Just was was never ever going to end well. And interestingly, and I think that's why it's been great to get into this so much with you this evening is that a lot of teachers will just and I, and I think probably even though COVID has done probably a really good job for what you're doing and, and really helped. In it, on the flip side of that coin. You're probably on an uphill battle with a lot of people now because when you say Would we do a virtual school that's online, that 99% of teachers are going to think, "Oh my goodness, it's gonna it's gonna be like that nightmare during COVID when we were trying to speak to a student on on a video call and their camera was turned off and we couldn't <laughs> like do you know do you know what I mean?" I think so. I think definitely. I think the whole pedagogical approach to to online learning has to move has to move with that. But I think the technology and and, and some of the stuff that Mark Zuckerberg's talking about at the minute in terms of some of the innovations they're putting into their headsets where you can track eye movement so you can actually make full eye contact. Um, so at the moment, I think it uses um, machine learning to guess where you might be looking, but actually the the new headsets that are being released actually tracks your eye movement. So you know that when you're you're looking at someone within virtual reality, you actually make an eye contact. And I think simplest, something as simple as that, as human as that, can help what you're saying there about the interaction, the community elements.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. 10, 20 years, there'd be no reason to go to a physical classroom uh, in terms of efficacy of of the learning environment. But right now we can still solve those core philosophical pillars and and really leapfrog over schools no matter what the medium is. And I will agree, COVID made the remote aspect of our school probably five times harder to sell but it also made people five times more willing to talk about the need for something new and different. Right. So I think it balances out.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, we, we had the futurist Gerd Leonhard, um, on the, on the podcast a few months ago, and he talked about that the next big company, the next Google he said would be an education provider. Um, and I think we're really starting to, to see, um, a push in that direction and, and, and innovative Companies and and schools like like Sora and the work that you're doing, Garrett, is really really transforming um, in in ways that are unimaginable. Really, we 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 have these we have these types of conversations week in, week out. But when you mentioned like the the way you're using your data, for example, I, I know it kind of just blew our minds a bit there. So it's I think there's the innovation that's happening is phenomenal. and It's only going to get better, and I think um it's we're going to live in an exciting world where education is important i think i think it's, it's good it, hopefully it's going to reignite that fire in our in our in our learners um, where maybe sometimes it's it's not there anymore it's not um and, and being 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 people who've worked in schools it's half the battle is trying to get kids interested in in education get kids interested in learning um and and, and i certainly welcome a a, a present or a, or a future where, where that that is the case so garrett uh thank you for i know you, you're visiting family in texas there so we really appreciate the the time that you've you've taken out for us uh, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your time down there
3: thank you it's wonderful to meet you all
2: thanks garrett
0: Cheers, yeah. Garrett. take care mate Bye bye